0: Welcome to the Chatterbox with your host, Nicole Parchani. On today's episode, I have probably one of the most phenomenal people I've ever met while I was at Michigan. Um, Not only is she a Ross graduate and works in marketing at Microsoft, like amazing, she does so much stuff for social justice and she came out with a book to represent the South queer Asian, wait, I said that (laughs) wrong. The South Asian queer experience. And what better time to release a book about that than Pride Month. So and especially for a community that I feel like does not get a lot of representation, like the stories of queer South Asian experiences is often suppressed. It's really awesome to see you talk about this because I, I know so many people that are like struggling with this even today like being you know Indian or South Asian and you know whatever way they want to identify themselves and they struggle because there's like this barrier that they have to deal with um, because of our culture which <sighs> stressful but before we get into that like I'm so happy to have you here like how, how are you doing?
1: Thank you for that beautiful introduction. I am so excited to be here. I'm doing well. I am melting in the Seattle heat. I feel. Um, but but overall, doing well, Like riding the high after our launch party yesterday, I think, for sure. And really just trying to live in the moment. Today, I was like, I am unplugging. I'm only doing this podcast. And then I am just relaxing. I'm not doing any work it's been exhausting
0: yeah and the heat definitely doesn't help but you got to celebrate like this is a huge (laughs) milestone like publishing a book sis like that takes so much work and effort and i remember when you were telling me just about the idea to write this book and like you manifested that shit like it's here you can buy it and that is just so so awesome but I know you also are an immigrant to the United States like me, you know, and I kind of would like to learn more of like what it where where you grew up and like what that was like and how you, you know, got to America in the, in the first place.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think you and I have like that similar foreign background and experience. I was born in India, in Kerala, South India, and I, I was there for like less than a year. I moved to Ghana in West Africa and I lived there for about six years. And then I moved to South Africa and lived there for about, I want to say like 12 years. And then I moved to the US for college um, at the University of Michigan um, and was there for about four years and then moved to Seattle. So really you know, spread my wings as far as I could. And yeah, just tried a bunch of new things and moved around a bunch. But I I love it. I I don't think I would have wanted my life any other way because I think it's really shaped who I am and what I believe in.
0: Yeah, I'm curious. So like, how was it living in different African countries? Because I've never had the opportunity to... I was going to visit Ghana, but I never actually got to go. But what was it actually like living? Especially like, I'm assuming you were living in South Africa post-apartheid. But I'm curious, like, what the what it was like living there, especially being, you know, a person of color.
1: Yeah. So South Africa specifically um, is really interesting because we had this huge, like, South Asian slave trade to South Africa. So I think South Africa has, like, the largest Indian population outside of India. No. Um, and I, like, the race is, like, called Indian, but it's, like, from South Asians from all over South Asia, essentially. Um, they're just bucketed into that terminology. So it was nice because I never really felt alone in that identity like I think you go to a lot of places and it's like hard to find people who look like you but it wasn't except for the fact that obviously you know these Indians in South Africa these South African Indians had been there for about six generations and I still didn't really fit that scope like I had a very different identity a very different experience um, and I think that's part of being a third culture kid is like you move around so much, but and you're never gonna really be able to define what home means to you. And that's gonna make it challenging to really identify with any one group of people or call any group of people like yours. And, but I think I've had the privilege to be able to call so many groups of people my own because of these experiences. Yeah. So South Africa specifically, post-apartheid, I think there is still a lot of racial tension, obviously. Um, and a lot of unconscious segregation, I think that happens just by so many different pieces of intersectional identities like socioeconomic status yeah. job opportunities things like that but i also think that you're never going to find a group of people that are as like kind and warm and welcoming in my experience i also do want to like give the caveat that i had so much privilege to be able to live in these countries and i uh, live you yeah. know pretty well off so I do not want to say that I'm speaking for the entire South African experience or Ghanaian experience. Cause that's not that wouldn't be the case. Yeah.
0: Did you feel like you had culture shock when you moved to the States or because you had moved before it was like easier adapting to different cultures? Oh,
1: 100% culture shock. Like it was nothing like what <laughs> I imagined America to be. It was nothing like anything I'd lived in before because I mean, you have to realize everywhere I lived before was like, it was kind of like a developing country, right? So the way that like, Mm-hmm. oh my god this is gonna sound so bad but like the way you get out of like parking tickets the way you like practiced living life like it's all just very different yeah also like going to this is such a random example but like going to the um like with the dmv the like mm-hmm. whatever that's called um yeah. like in south africa we would go like to get my driver's license i went there at like 5:30 a.m with the hope that they would see me before like 3 4 p.m because, like, lines started that long and it was just so slow. Wow. Here, people were complaining about having to get there at, like, 9 a.m. And would still <laughs> be done by, like, 10, like, 11. You're like, i like, it
0: worse than you, sis. Yeah, I was
1: like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, my God. But, You're like, um, you didn't have to wake up at 5 o'clock. Right. <laughs> To drive like two hours just to maybe get in by itself. I feel you, but those social security lines be trash, <laughs> Though
0: I'm not going to lie, I'd be sitting there low key. I feel like I cut sometimes by accident because I never know like what's the right number letter combo, oh and I'm like, God. oh, that's my number. <laughs> Deuces. <laughs> I'm
1: dead. I'm dead. But I think the like the uh, the biggest culture shock for me was like the sense of humor. I don't know if you felt that moving to the US but like the way that like things are funny <laughs> and like the way that you tell jokes like the way I think it's just like a colloquial thing that like like I, sarcasm and stuff like sarcasm like I don't know even how to describe it but I feel like I was so funny in South Africa that like when I moved here for like the first year I was struggling to figure out how to be funny. And I was like, how to like build relationships, how to like make friendships, because it's just so different. And you have to kind of like adapt the people to And I think Michigan is a really unique subset of people, because everyone's so smart and so driven. And so you really have to like find your niche within that as well.
0: Yeah, for I mean, I, I think when I moved to the States, it was a culture shock in that I didn't know like what you had to do. You know, like, at least, like, setting up your life in America. Like, nobody told mm. me, like, wait, like, oh, you need health care. If you don't, they will penalize you. I didn't know yeah. that. I was just, like, healthcare expensive. We don't need that. We're just going <laughs> to pretend. Or, like, but I feel like because I fine. grew up on St. Martin, where we had a lot of American tourists, I was used to, like, mm. the American way of thinking. And, like, I went to an American yeah. high school. So, like, all my teachers, some of them were from the United States. So I felt like in that regard, I ha- was almost like being trained to live in America because I was like exposed to the culture from such a young age. Yeah. But I definitely will say like Americans are different than like, I don't know, like I feel like in the Caribbean, people are more approachable or friendly. Like I could hug somebody and it not be weird. But I would never Mm -hmm. dare to go and just hug somebody Mm -hmm. here. Like, I just would not even do it. Just because I would be so afraid of them, like, being like, what is wrong with you? And, like, on the dead side, like, we kiss three times on the cheek. On the front side, you kiss twice. I would not dare try to kiss someone (laughs) on the cheek. Like, I would just be so afraid that they would just be so uncomfortable that I would, like, it would, like, and then I'm, like, so then that social anxiety is just, like, just. You know, have resting bitch face and just sit in your yeah. corner and don't talk to anybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think okay, so I think it's like definitely a piece of the fact that I don't think American American culture exists everywhere around the world. But I think we were we still had like South African yeah. culture was like the core of it, like the the slang, the way that we talk, the way that we like oh yeah, party, I the see way what you that mean. like it's. So it was so different. So definitely there was that. But coming here and trying to figure out how to do taxes was the most confusing thing. Like taxes, setting up for healthcare. care. Like, I still don't know how to do I, it. Like, honestly, I'm still I still. I'm just like, every year I'm like, oh, like, trying to figure it out. Yeah, I'm just
0: hoping the IRS won't come knocking on like, my door. Terrified. I'm like, I think I paid right. you. I think I did the right thing. I'm hoping, and then I'm always nervous when they give me a refund. I'm like, are you supposed to be giving me back money? Because now I'm nervous. So I'm like, maybe yeah, I did something now wrong. Yeah, like,
1: did I steal money from the government? And like, I think also just being so unstable with our visa status, that adds an entire another level. Or for me, right, I, I'm on a work visa currently, and I was on a student visa before. And so there's that instability um, that adds that layer of anxiety that like, okay, I have to do every single thing correct. I can't even slip by a hair. Because I might lose my, I yeah. might lose my ability to stay in this country. Exactly. And it's not like I have this dying desire to like live in the U.S. forever, but like I've built a life here. I've spent, I've invested in relationships. Yeah. I've invested in my life. And so there's that added pressure on top of trying to figure out what, like how you get a SIM card in the U.S., why you buy phones through your SIM card company rather than like through the yeah. Apple store. And like prepaid plans and yeah. locked phones
0: versus unlocked phones. Yeah, it's weird. It is different.
1: It's how you negotiate, like, for anything. Like, it's just a very different culture yeah but yeah and then in, t- in terms of the physical touch thing too like back home like me and my friends like hold hands and like hug and like all of this stuff like kiss on the cheek you don't do that here people are so averse to physical touch especially your
0: different genders too yeah it's even worse if if i have a male friend will would think i was crazy if i like sat next to a male friend of mine he'd be like that's disrespectful yeah like, as a man, and like, like you're not- my girl why would you do that and i'm like what do you mean
1: bro that's my friend yeah. And it's so and also like with like the other gender thing. So like back home, I mean, this is like there's like a lot of um, hyper masculinity, I think, just exists. It's like pervasive around the world um, in South Africa specifically. Part of how that comes out is it's like for in like the South African Indian community and with like my friend group, if I would go out to like dinner with one of my guy friends. We would literally be fighting to pay the bill. Like it's like the guys pay the bill regardless. Yes, like, even if you're, you're right. just friends, like the guy still he like has to pay. like. Why are you yeah. paying? And so and even in like girlfriend groups, like I would go out to dinner and we would all like kind of fight over like who's gonna pay the bill. Like it's just like a cultural thing, I think, of like I want to take yeah. care of you. Like this is how I'm gonna do it. In the U.S., it's not like that at all. Like I feel like if you offered to pay the bill, you would be like, "Oh yeah, sure. Like thank you." They're like, "Take it,"
0: right. I it's don't want to
1: pay. Culture. <laughs> and I think it's like that, like um, idea of like in India and South Africa and Ghana. It's all about community. Like community comes first. We yeah. want to take care of each other, number one. And then after that, like by taking care of each other, obviously you're going to end up taking care of yourself too. Yeah. Versus in the US, it's more like let me, me take care me, of me. myself, yeah. and then if I have space, I'll take care of you too. Yeah. And I think that is one thing that was the biggest culture shock to me when I moved to the U.S. is I that agree. it was very me first. And that's not, yeah. Yeah, and that's not how I work. That's not how I think. That's not how I love. And so getting into the social justice space at Michigan was my opportunity to be like, okay, this is where I can do what I've always been raised to do. What, I've, what I feel like I've been born on this earth to do is to take care of other people and support our communities. But
0: I feel like, like serving other people gives life like i feel like that's when i'm when i'm my happiest when is when i'm like actually doing something to help and i see that person grow i see them succeed i see them accomplish something like that i don't know i feel like that just feels so much better than any like materialistic thing you could really buy because at the end of the day like you really invested Mm -hmm. and you can see that you know in someone's lived experience but tell me more about what kinds of social justice programs you were a part of at Michigan. Yeah,
1: for sure. So I think coming into the University of Michigan, the first organization I joined was called Yoni Um It means Talks of the Vagina in Sanskrit. And it was started kind of as this organization called South Asian Sisters in San Francisco, I believe, and then it grew into Yoni And then coming to Michigan it expanded to be for all women of color. So the goal of the organization was really to empower all women of color through dialogue and storytelling. And so every year we have this like spring showcase um, and it's like a show where folks write monologues or like we put on like a production like it's just very much people telling their stories. And my soft, my freshman year I wrote for the for the show and I performed and I like just did a bunch of like other facilitation for dialogues, talking about the uh, experience of being a woman of color, essentially. And then my sophomore year, I actually produced the show, hmm. and, which was like an incredible opportunity to highlight yeah. stories. And we brought together so many people and raised so much money. And then at the end of my sophomore year, I started an organization with a few friends called the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Task Force uh, within the business school. And that grew to be the diversity, equity and inclusion committee under our BBA council, which is like our student government for the business school. So it was incredible to kind of see it go from this small group of like four yeah. of us to institutionalize within the school. Yeah. That organization was like literally my heart and soul and like my legacy. I feel like that I left at Michigan um, because we really started conversations with leadership. We were able to get in a room with our dean, with all of these like, like, high-up people um, and tell them our stories and tell them that this is the change that we needed. And then we got the power and the budget to execute that change. One thing that I created was this like name tag for business students where we could put like our names and then our pronunciations because you know professors like tend to mispronounce names a lot and that's like incredibly exclusive yep. and, and disrespectful i'm sure you yeah. felt it i felt it
0: and they don't i mean i've been lucky i feel like they don't butcher mine mm-hmm. mind too much i'm always surprised but yeah like you'll see like they just don't even yeah. try they'll like look at it and you can tell like it's your name too cuz you know the right. next in the alphabet and right
1: like, and then you lose participation oh, let's see how this goes they're like oh like I don't want to butcher it so I'm not going to call on that person so anyway so it was an opportunity to um, improve that and then we also did like trainings for different student orgs within the business school to talk to them about like how to holistically review applications for students to diversify their group we, we facilitate like unconscious bias workshops we did one on disability and it was just amazing to see the push of support we received across the business school and then that group grew yeah. from four people to like maybe 100 by the time that we graduated in terms of wow. volunteers and now it's like even skyrocketed beyond that so
0: that's awesome
1: yeah I did that and you did community leaders right like, I'm
0: just like shook <laughs> yeah that's
1: how you and I really I think got closest through Google's community leaders yeah. program uh, and that was incredible I loved working with um, working on that and that literally kind of is part of the work that I do right now too in terms of bridging the digital divide and supporting digital literacy. That was specifically for nonprofits. Now I'm actually, I started an organization with a friend who also went to Michigan called Web for Purpose. And uh, we teach previously incarcerated and at promise youth how to build websites. And then we pair them with small businesses in their communities to build websites for those businesses. So really kind of, that is so awesome. I think my big passion is institutional change. So like, how can you set someone up for success so that they can empower them to like, continue and perpetuate that success within their communities, right? Exactly. Uh, And that's how you make change.
0: Yeah, exactly. I love that. Like, I want to volunteer because I literally build websites for like myself. And I'm like, always willing to help. That's literally why I have my own nonprofit is because I want to help people build Mm -hmm. the life of success that ultimately really changes things for them, their families and their communities just by helping someone level up. And it's like something that, I feel like, yeah, it's very different in America where it's all about me, me, Mm -hmm. me. And I'm like, no, like the way we grow is we all grow. That's how Mm -hmm. we grow. Like if we're all doing well, then we're all doing well. (laughs) Like then there's no need to steal. There's no need to fight because we're all doing well. But I feel like, I don't know, like even at Michigan, I remember like our senior year, the EEC students were forced to take this class because they thought we didn't have social skills. I swear like we were the only major that they may take this one class like you had to take it to graduate and the professor asked like oh if you had a you know if you had resources would you share like would you keep it to yourself or would you share and the consensus was most people wouldn't have shared
1: what I'm shocked actually you know what I'm not but I'm not
0: shocked I'm not but I was like wow I'm like y'all are salty for real but for
1: what like, what are you hoarding these resources for? I think like... Because they think
0: it'll give them an advantage on the curve or whatever. But, and it's like, that's toxic. I
1: you're think, like, and <laughs> I, It's so toxic. And I think if you think about it too, from like a like analytical perspective, like an economical perspective, right? We do best when we work together. Exactly. That is the entire force behind globalization is that if you focus on what you're good at and support other people in what they're good at, and you come together, like you are going to make, it'll be better. You're going to do so much better than just trying to like hoard everything for yourself. That's ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, like you're talking about me and all of the work that I've done. Think about you, like you have also done such incredible work for your community and I'm always so inspired by you. you sure. try, bro. You I mean, I
0: think, cause it's like, to me, like there's no, like, I feel like it's a, I can't even believe I work at Microsoft. So I'm like, okay, I have this incredible opportunity. This door opened for me. How can I open that door for other people? Mm-hmm. How can I make sure that I'm not the only St. Martiner that works in mm-hmm. Surface? Because I am. I'm like literally the only one. And like every time I talk to other, you know, Surface people, they're like, oh my God, like that is so cool. Like how did you get here? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how I got yeah. here. Someone was looking down over me yeah. and was like, let's open the door for this young buck. But like again i like for me what is the point if i have all my millions and i'm all alone like the scrooge was miserable you know what i mean (laughs) i would much rather help other people have a life that they really want to live and help them grow because that's better for all of Mm -hmm. us like i just think like in terms of the positive good i want to leave in the world i would much rather leave it in a like in a positive surplus than yeah that, You know and you yeah. know and if like anything if every even like just having this conversation with you is a positive thing for the world because you get to share other people's lived experiences that could help someone you know whether they listen to this and they're like you know what i'm inspired to go and start my own organization to help you know whatever community you wish to serve you know and it's just about like for me showing people that if we can do it mm-hmm. together like that's i agree the reason we're in the civilization is because we work better together mm-hmm. and the only way we're going to solve any of the problems that we all face is collectively right a hundred you know 100%. so it's all about lift as you climb i think exactly mm-hmm. yes i like one time I like was thinking and it was like Together we rise. Like it's just
1: It's so true. It,
0: it just makes sense. Yeah. You know, if everyone is doing well, the economy does well. Exactly. You know, society does well. Yeah. So it just makes sense. Um, to me it makes sense. But you also do incredible stuff for diversity at Microsoft and you've released like campaigns about it and I've watched the videos and they're so amazing so could you talk about a little bit about like what you do for diversity at Microsoft as well because I think it's phenomenal like absolutely phenomenal yeah
1: I mean I have to give kudos to my manager this year he has been incredibly supportive in all my goals and dreams and the team of course but I had the opportunity so I'm a brand strategist currently I'm also in the ace rotational program so like that. So like my role would end in August and I'd move into a different role at Microsoft. But for now, I'm a brand strategist. And part of that role was really bringing our brand narrative to life. And that is all about for Azure is all about like how Azure is a Microsoft Azure is like your ally in the cloud. Like how are we going to help you invent with purpose? But thinking about all of our cloud platforms, like that's kind of the goal is how can we be the platform that allows other people to solve their problems and excel in the way that they want to excel. I started this documentary series where we highlight early and career developers in Latin America and Africa and showcase how they're using our cloud technologies to really transform their communities. And it really came out of a recognition of just a lack of representation in the way that we think, in the way that we see developers, the way that we think about developers and kind of like destabilizing what it means to yeah. be a software engineer, what it means to be a computer science person, what it means to be a data, like what it means to be in tech, because it doesn't mean just one thing. It means so yeah. many things. And there's so many uses of yeah. our technology. Like, like, honestly, finding these stories wasn't even hard. Like, there are so many people using technology to transform and change their communities and help people Um, so it was amazing and so our first episode was about how this young developer in Mexico is using our like cloud learning courses to bridge the digital divide in Latin America and he teaches up to like 5,000 people per workshop and he's just really teaching them like how they can get onto this cloud technology and use it to do whatever they want to do which is really cool and then the second episode follows these two sisters in South Africa and how they're using Microsoft Azure and GitHub to build this app to combat gender-based violence, which is uh, a horrible issue in South Africa um, and impacts like one out of three women, I think. And so their app really just supports them in finding help and seeking help and the resources that they need to be safe.
0: That is so awesome. And yeah, you're right. There are so many people that use you know all of Microsoft tools like there are so many Microsoft tools that people don't even know belong to Microsoft 100% honestly. yeah but i i think Microsoft does so much for diversity and people don't even get to really see it like as much as you think and it's like mm-hmm. I feel like even working like being an engineer at Microsoft like they really want to empower all kinds of people to be creating the technology of the future and we don't see that like I feel like for most people when they think engineer it's not you and I you know like yeah. they, they're not thinking about people like me and you but it's like yeah we're the ones doing the work like we're the mm-hmm. ones doing all that heavy lifting too we're in those conversations And it's important for the people that buy our products, especially, you know, women of color to know like, hey, there are women of color engineers
1: building this product for you, for you. Yeah. And I think I've always kind of known just the gender disparity within engineering, but actually working in a tech company and seeing it firsthand was shocking, like shocking And that's just women. Like, I'm just talking about men and women. And to hear about some of my friends who are women, who are in engineering, I think it's so, like, sad to hear about their, like, horrible experiences. But then to think about going, like, more granularly to, like, being a woman of color, being a queer woman of color. Like, I can't even imagine. Like, it goes on and on and on. And we need more representation. We need more support. We need more resources. We need more mentorship. There's just so much lacking, I think, for women in tech.
0: And we'll get get there, you know, like people like you and I are part of that, you know, frontier to push for that ask. And Mm -hmm. I do think, you know, there are companies that are willing to listen and that's what's at least a step in the right direction. Like they're at least willing to recognize, like hold up, maybe we are missing something and we should look at what we're doing and see, can we do this better? Is there ways that we are actually, you know stopping certain communities Mm -hmm. from growing or are there resources that we could share to help specific communities accelerate because we have the tools
1: to do so you know like Microsoft is a two trillion dollar
0: company now
1: right exactly and I think that's why I was going back and forth so in college for context I majored in business I went to Ross but I double minored in social work and education and so I've always kind of looked at work at that, inter- looked for work at that intersection. But I've also gone back and forth about whether I want to go into corporate work, or if I want to do nonprofit work, or I want to go into social work, or I want to be a teacher, I like go into education, like, my mind is always kind of all over the place, deciding to work at a corporate company was something that I was kind of reckoning with myself about in, in terms of how it aligns with my values. And I think Microsoft out of all the companies that I would think to work at is the one that I feel is doing the most. And I can feel it internally. Like I can feel it in the way that our leadership talks about it. Like there is genuine care and money behind it. And I think that speaks volumes. Like for a $2 trillion company, like hell yeah, we owe the earth. We owe the people of this planet. We owe the communities of the world so much. And I think we're putting our money where our mouth is. We're putting, we're doing the work yeah which is good
0: and having the conversations even though they make people comfortable like it is so i remember when i first joined like when back in august i believe like ricardo who's like our like you know like there's panos but then ricardo's head of quality in surface and he was talking about like this was around um like during black lives matter when all you know the protests and all that Mm -hmm. he was like really telling people like we want our employees to be aware of this we want us as a company Mm -hmm. to be a company where we're fighting against this but the only way we can do that is to first educate ourselves and he wasn't saying like oh go find you know Someone to teach you. He's like, no, go and do the work yourself. Do
1: the work yourself. Do the Mm -hmm. work yourself.
0: And as a new hire at the time, like I was like shocked. I was like, wow, like that is so incredible to see. Because he didn't know that I was paying attention to him saying that. But I was like, no, like that's. It made me feel good being at Microsoft because I was like, okay, I know I made the right decision. Like this is a company that genuinely Mm -hmm. wants to do good in the world, and then that makes me feel even better putting in the effort to build products that are actually going out there yeah. with the intention of doing good in the world.
1: Yeah, a million percent. Like, and I think just the, uh, the seeing leadership endorse this, but then also seeing leadership be like, yeah, actually, I did not know this was going on. I did not know this was as big of an issue. And that's human, because I think exactly. when you're living your human experience, you're so siloed into the struggles that you have. Like, we all have so much going on. It's a lot to take on someone else's yeah. experience, too as important as it is. So it's good for them to recognize like, no, I didn't know, I educated myself. I would love for you to educate yourself as a community internally, we need to fix things. And then how we connect with customers that needs to change too. Like we need it's a three sixty degree shift, and I see that happening, and I love it. Yeah. And I think also with my ACE, the ACE program that I'm part of, which is the early in career rotational program for Microsoft, they actually like this was incredible to see. But they like shouted me out for my book during our all hands. That's awesome. And then they yeah, and then they were like yeah, so anyone in the ACE program, if you buy a book, we'll expense it So like go That's and buy what I'm a saying. book i want about you to you Put it in the library. <laughs> <laughs> But it's so cool because it's like, they they were literally like, we want you, this is such an important human experience for you to learn about. This is an intersectional experience that doesn't get a lot of traction. We want you to educate yourself to like buy this book, we'll expense it. And I think seeing that, like seeing these pushes where they're supporting my work, like so much of my work, for example, I'm on the board of Out at MCB, which is our LGBTQ employee resource group for marketing and consumer business. And the support that we've gotten for our events, like our CMO has dropped by an event that I was facilitating, and like talked to me about my book, you know, we've had like all of these like, just like, I don't even know, it's just it's it really warms my heart to see the support. And I think more, I hope that companies recognize how much that matters.
0: Now for a message from our sponsors. The back would be a big thing. And that makes me super, super happy. And I think that that's so awesome that leadership has shown, like, passion for your book and really is pushing it. I I really think they should put it in the library. But, I mean, coming back to, like, your experience, you know, being in the LGBT community, I guess, do you feel like it was easier to have, like, be your full self in the United States where now I feel like there's more openness towards the LGBT community compared to, like, growing up in developing countries where at least like for me in the Caribbean people are very homophobic very very Mm -hmm. homophobic so I'm curious was it better in America or was it okay considering what South Africa had already gone through
1: yeah That's a great question. So South Africa was actually, I believe, one of the first countries to legalize gay marriage. I think, like, post-apartheid, they were like, let's get rid of racism, let's get rid of sexism, let's get rid of homophobia, let's just, you know, do do the damn thing. Not saying that, you know, that completely infiltrated into, like, how society functions, and that everyone is suddenly, you know, all rainbows and hearts and sunshine. Like, that's not the case, for sure. I think just coming from countries where there's a, a lot of traditionalistic mindsets in terms of, like, what marriage should look like, what relationships should look like. Um, That influences a lot of things, right? And there is definitely a lot of homophobia that exists within South Africa. There's a lot of homophobia that exists in the US too. I think the difference is that, I think the difference is that when I was growing up, there was no one that I knew that was queer at all. Like not a single person that was out, at least. There might've been people. I'm Mm. sure there were people, but no one was out. I came out in 10th grade, I believe to my friend group or yeah. Yeah. 10th grade. I came out to my friend group in 12th grade. I came out to my father and I felt so alone. Cause I was like, there must, if I am the only person I know who is queer, who is also South Asian and queer, there must be a reason why others are not coming out. Like either it's because they don't feel safe to, or, it's just been a negative experience, or there really just aren't any queer people that are South Asian. None of those realities sounded appealing to me. So I think a lot of my experience was just suppressing that part of me. Because even just speaking about it with friends, like, I had the best friends growing up, I really was blessed, and I loved them so dearly. But like, I think unconsciously, there is so much so much stereotyping that happens, comments, microaggressions that they didn't... I don't think... Yeah, jokes that they didn't even realize were harmful because they had never truly spoken Had to deal with it. Yeah, you know, or
0: like had to confront someone that was actually living that experience. It's like, hey, actually, that's not funny to me. Yeah,
1: and so I would laugh it off. And but I think coming to the U.S. and taking classes that touched on these identities gave me more of a critical lens. And I think institutionally, there's a lot more support and protection within the U.S. than ever before. It's interesting. One story in my book actually touches on this. It's about this gay man from Pakistan who moves to the U.S. And um, he talks about how in the US, you know, he felt a lot more free to be himself because of the institutional protections. He could go to Mm -hmm. support groups, he could like be out to his straight friends and it was totally normal and he was accepted. But dating in the US sucked compared to dating in Pakistan, um, because although you had to hide and it was illegal and it was terrifying to be gay in Pakistan, that pushed the community closer. And so there was a lot of communal respect and love. And like no matter who you are, if you knew someone or not, if you were in the queer community in Pakistan, they had your back. You come to the US, he describes dating as someone who is who tries on a shirt, doesn't like it, and just drops it on the floor and moves on. It's very much like if you serve a purpose, you serve a purpose. If you don't, you don't. Like there's no long-term community more like hookup culture yes so that is one thing I would say about like I think it's there's you're never gonna find a perfect community but I think I started when i when I started at Microsoft I had kind of still been suppressing my queer identity and how it intersects with my South Asian identity all through college because the queer community at Michigan when I was trying to kind of become part of it it was very white it was not at all what I was looking for in a queer community, um, the experiences were very different. I just didn't feel like part of it. I didn't feel like I got along. I, I didn't feel like I could build community with these people. So, I was kind of like, okay, that's part of who I am, but it's not the main part. A lot of my social justice work focused on race and racial justice, and queerness is part of that. Obviously, it's a big part of how race yeah. plays out, but it, it wasn't my main focus. Coming to Microsoft, I was like, no, like I am done now. I'm yeah, going to be, be my full self,
0: exactly. 100% Elsa,
1: yeah. 100% me, and so that is why I joined out at MCB when I came to Microsoft because I was like, this is me taking the step to be my full self and bring my full self to work. And if people don't like it, they don't like it. Okay, that's fine with me. And it worked out beautifully. I think I've built such a great community um, and had such incredible support. Found the best mentors through this organization and just been able to do work that really, really warms my heart. So. That is one piece of advice I would give to anyone listening is take your time to figure out who you are and what parts of you truly define your experience and that you want to truly define your experience. Not every piece of you needs to, for sure, but then lean into that and don't be afraid to do that. And I think that being yourself, being honest about who you are, being authentic actually opens more doors and builds you up for success, unlike pretending to be someone else ever will. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think it's interesting because, like, you said you'd never seen a queer person, you know, growing up, um, you know, in in South Africa. But I, growing up on St. Martin, had seen people that, like, they didn't tell me. Like, when I was a kid, it's not like people were ever like, oh, this person's gay. Like, oh, that like, he's gay. But you knew that they were different from everybody else that you were seeing. Because, you know, straight people are very, you know. Straight. (laughs) Straight straight. edge. You can tell. You can tell you have a little. But, Yeah. And so when I was a kid, like, I would see, there were, like, few men that would, like, come around, you know, my family or, like, around me as a kid that I knew something was, they were not, mm-hmm. you know, walking the straight and narrow like everybody else. And I remember when I was, like, even, you know, a kid, like, there would be, you know, lesbian women that were more on, like, the tomboy, you know, spectrum of how they, you yeah, know, more to a, a, Yeah, more masculine. And, And then I, as a kid, would just be like, "Okay, like so, lesbian means like more like butch, yeah, like it shapes, you know, that masculine, yeah." Yeah. And then if you were like gay for a man, you would tell like maybe they were more feminine, yeah. Um, And that's typically the lens that I first saw, you know, the LGBT, But you do not talk about it, like, like it, like. If someone's gay like that's them their thing. but that's not something that comes in our household. You know, that's mm-hmm. like like sure we accept them, like we can talk to them, we're not gonna treat them poorly, but that's not our family. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day. And it was really interesting because people are very homophobic in the Caribbean and on St. Martin especially for a very long time I remember a gay cruise ship wanted to come to the island and the Christian community said no. <gasps> no, you are not no. welcome here. And they literally oh. were so upset, they, like, put articles in the paper, like, saying, no, do not come here. You're gonna turn our children gay. Like, that was literally the the mindset that they had. And I remember when the friend side, I believe, first allowed gay marriage, there were protests. Mm-hmm. Wow. On the street, because, like, two gay people wanted to get married. Mm-hmm. Mind yeah. you, despite having seen all of that hatred, I knew that that was just ignorance and I feel like I don't know where I knew it from but I just knew that like that's not how you're Mm -hmm. supposed to treat people at the end of the day and I think now there's more of a movement to accept queer experiences and to allow people that are queer to have a voice and have their lived experience be acknowledged because for a very long time it felt like you like if you were gay you were gay but it was not something that was like a good thing you mm-hmm. know it's almost like a sh- something to be ashamed mm-hmm. of like you were a disappointment in some way if you chose to live yeah. your life this way and a lot of like caribbean music especially is homophobic and so a lot of the time like you would see guys boys even though they were coming from a place of ignorance saying you know vernacular that was very very hurtful mm-hmm. to like the lgbt community because they just thought it was a joke and because yeah. the caribbean culture actually promoted those types of jokes And it was fine. Like, people laughed. Like, that was the cool thing to do. But I think now people are changing. As much as I, at the time when I was in high school, nobody came out as gay. Like, I think now um, more people are okay with identifying that way and having people look at them that way. But I remember when I first, like, when I, I, because I don't really like labels personally, but if I had to you know put myself in a in a category i guess i would be bi Mm -hmm. but i knew when i was a kid like i would like i i was never into all girls but there would be certain girls that you know i was just like "Mm, there's something about her thoughts yeah those thoughts i don't think normal people have but again i would suppress Mm -hmm. it because i was ashamed of feeling like I would ever go down that road so yeah. and I like boys too so I was like I'm gonna just stick to that side because that side is safe and I remember like when I was like okay I'm finally have the courage just to tell my dad like hey just so you know like as, as much as I'm in a heterosexual relationship right now I love William I he's like my favorite person um, I, I wanted William. to be authentic I wanted him to mm-hmm. know at the end of the day like look your child is in fact, you know, not not yeah. maybe what you expected, but literally the title of your book, I Hope You Will Still Love Me, was the thought in my mm-hmm. head. Like, I hope if I tell you this, you're not going to look at me and be like, oh. damn, that's my kid. Like, oh, now I'm stuck with this one. That's all yeah. messed up now. And it's, it's so crazy because I feel like, For Indians, especially, it's not something that's accepted because it's always what will people say?
1: Yeah, that's always the community think
0: if people find out about this, you know, like, or is this gonna make your life worse? Like, why would you? Because, especially, it's already like they want you to be in an arranged marriage, Mm -hmm. they want you to marry someone within the community. Now, not only are you saying you might wanna marry someone out of the community, you don't even necessarily wanna marry someone of the opposite Opposite gender, and it's just like not something that goes over well so I'm curious like how was it for you when you came out to your dad because I'm I'm sure like Ali I was really really scared that my dad was going to be like I I'm disappointed and yeah but now he
1: loves me and so it's all good (laughs) but
0: (laughs) I love that for
1: you but like even in that yeah I was scared yeah oh my god also I just got goosebumps when you were talking about like the title and like how you felt like oh my god I'm I think that's Okay, I'll, like, give you context about the title in a second, but let me answer your question first. I also have questions for you, because whatever. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Um, But, um, yeah, so, essentially, um, when I told my dad, I, okay, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but I think you and I have a lot of privilege, too, in the queer community, because we're pretty straight-passing, and we present as femme, and, like, you know, it's, like, and and we're like I date both men and women as well and everything in between too. So I think I have that like kind of like safety net of um of what like my happily ever after is going to look like. At yeah. the same time, that almost excludes me. I feel like I feel kind of excluded from the queer community sometimes too. It's because like you're I feel not like...
0: really a part of it, you Exactly. Like, you're you're walking the fence, like you're cheating. Yeah.
1: And I that, but I fully, I feel fully queer, but I don't know if the queer community sees me fully in my queerness and coming out to my dad, I honestly, I don't even know, remember why I decided to do it, but I basically, we went out to get food and I was telling him about just like my life and I started breaking down. And he can tell. And I think, my like, I love my parents so much. But, like, we don't really, like, talk about, like, deep stuff. I think that might just be like a South Asian thing. It's like, you talk about what you need to talk about. But you yeah, don't Yeah, you don't want to talk about
0: anything that's taboo. Too and personal. Make them, yeah, make them uncomfortable. Make them uncomfortable.
1: And so I think him seeing me break down like that, he was like, oh, sh- like, shit, this is serious. And then I told him. And he kind of looked at me. And he was like, did you think? this was going to change anything like did you think this was going to go badly like why are you crying and I was like I just didn't really know yeah. what to expect and he was so supportive like I think my dad is like what oh my god get emotional. I know like it makes you emotional <laughs> I feel yeah I feel. oh my god but when I think about like being a good parent I think about my dad like wholeheartedly like I think all parents make mistakes for sure and like he's not perfect but I think that he does his best and he truly shows me that like, there like unconditional love is how you yeah. should be parenting. Anyway, okay, yeah. let me get over this. I know but- <laughs> I like gonna I when
0: I was telling you I was trying not to cry too, so
1: Oh my god. No, it's like I think parents have such a especially in the South Asian community, I think parents like define so much for you. Yes. Um so like, like you look that, up to them so yeah. much, like there's a there's like a a power structure that I yes. feel like, like you in Western put society them there aren't.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, like there's definitely like you want them to look at you with respect and yeah. admiration, like. And if you disappoint an Asian parent, I swear it's like a dagger to the heart. It's a like I nothing to the that hearts. hurts more than the thought of me disappointing my dad. Like I swear, like me just being afraid, I would. Oh, I can't. Like it's. Just, I know. dagger a to the heart. Percent,
1: I feel like my. I feel like your entire life as a South Asian daughter, especially, is vying for their approval, vying for their acceptance. And so my entire life, since I have known that I was queer, it was kind of like, okay they're going to see this as a shortcoming. How can I make up for it in every other way? And yeah, so I worked exactly. my ass off through school. I got into Michigan. I, you know, graduated from Michigan with, like, the highest honors. I, like, did all of this stuff. Like, I got a job at Microsoft. Like, okay, maybe this will soften the blow. Maybe yeah. now, maybe they now will this will be- They will still love me. They will still it, love it me, It won't exactly. be,
0: like, yeah, they won't throw me away and they say, won't, like, I'm done. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and so I came out to my dad in 12th grade Um, He was really supportive, but we just kind of never talked about it again. At the end of my freshman year of college, trigger warning, trigger warning, but um, I was dating a girl or like talking to a girl who took her life. And that was the first time my dad and I talked about it again, because I just wasn't doing well. And again, I I don't reach out to my family unless like, I really, really need them. So I think calling my dad at that moment, which was like, I think one of the hardest, lowest moments, he was like that's I think when it kind of like crystallized for him that like okay like this is serious and then writing the book honestly the title of the book so coming up with the concept to write the book and writing the book was kind of like me preparing to come out to my mom I love my mom very dearly but I think that sometimes it's hard for her to accept realities outside of her norm and
0: Yeah, it's I think that's the very traditional like South Asian mom has that like, because she herself has gone through it and wants you to be
1: good. Yeah, she wants me to be safe. She wants me to be protected. And that means fitting into this like box, right? And clearly, I don't. So writing, so writing the book was kind of like a letter to her, like, this is me. This is everyone in our community. Like this is a very, this is a very beautiful experience. I hope, that You'll still love me. I hope that this doesn't change anything. And so I I came out to my mom about a month ago, I would say, um, because I had to because the book was coming out. So, and she's so gonna I read was it. Like, <laughs> she's gonna read it. So, like, she better know ahead of time. Um, and I think that it was challenging for her. Like, I think it was almost like she was meeting me for the first time. Mm. And, like, it was so hard to like see that because I was kind of like, oh shit, like, I've been hiding this part of me from her for so long. Yeah, now she's she meeting the real me. me. Yeah. Will she still love this version of me? Because like, I'm still all of the other stuff, but now yeah. I'm like this new part of me too. I so feel. it was hard and I think it's taken her a long time. But with the book coming out, I think that did really soften the blow. I'm, this isn't my like... Um, PSA to everyone like if you're gonna come out write a book I think that's, what <laughs> that's not what I'm saying at all like I but this but was I just your journey yeah it was my journey it was my way of like showing her that I'm going to be unapologetically myself and that's not gonna change you should be unapologetically but I
0: hope you yeah so I hope
1: you'll still love me I hope you'll join me on this journey
0: yeah that is so lovely and yeah like that the title i swear really hit hits home because when i read it i was like yes that (laughs) if you if you want to know what it's like to be a south asian queer the the statement that i think everyone always thinks is i hope you will still love me and that Mm -hmm. hurts as a kid because it's like you you want like you You're doing everything in your power, yes, to get that validation, that approval. And you know, like, this one thing could change that. Because it's happened. everything. It's happened for so many. Where, like, they say this one thing and they're dead to their family. Dead. Mm -hmm. Do not talk to me. You are not my child. I don't know who you are. Don't come here ever again. Or they're forced to get into relationships where they're miserable. Because, well, it's either that or... My family family. disowns me.
1: Yeah. And I think in like white communities, and this is like might be stereotyping, it's so much easier for them to cut the ties and for them to be like, if you don't accept me, that's fine. Like it's, I'll just move out. I'll like live by myself. And I think it's not the same thing. Like if you look at the cover of the book, it's like this bird, right? Escaping the cage, but the bird is made from the cage. And so as it flies, it's kind of reshaping the cage, but it's still connected. Um, And I think that's a lot of how I think about the queer South Asian experience is that our culture our ethnicity our religion our people put us in this cage like they really confine us truly That's they're so strict about what our experience should look like and it's so hard to live in that cage very
0: very hard and
1: we want to escape we want to escape we want to leave but at the same time like it's such a beautiful culture and we love our people so much. And there really is such a community behind it that you don't want to lose that community. You just want to reshape what that community looks, looks like. like. Exactly. To just include you. That's exactly. It. Just to include you. Yeah. To let yeah. you fly, but to let you come back home too.
0: Yeah, for sure. And now, I can't wait to read the book cuz like I am super cuz I know like there's so many people especially where I grew up that are struggling to come out or don't even know how to define themselves or how to accept themselves because it's always like I hope you will still love me. Like, I don't know, what are people going to say if if I tell you this part? And I'm really, really lucky. Like, I was, I told my mom before I told my dad, because my mom is, like, the most open-minded, loving soul on this planet. But my dad is, like, that more, like, stricter, you Mm -hmm. know, Indian dad. He's a rebel, don't get me wrong. Like, I love (laughs) my dad. He's a rebel. He married outside of his race. Like, that's not something that happens, you know, already within Asian, you know, culture. but. (laughs) Like, I, I was so afraid. And he was also, like, why are you, like, like, he felt bad that I was so afraid to tell him. Yeah,
1: that was exactly my dad's reaction, too. He was, like. And I think that showcases love, for real. Yeah,
0: exactly. He's, like, how, he's, like, I love you. Like, I've literally been there since you were a baby. Like, you threw up, pooped, peed on me. <laughs> I will always love you, no matter yeah. what. And it's, like, but it's so hard because, yeah, you're part of this you culture That does sometimes feel like a cage or a box Mm that it wants you to fit in. But I felt like from the day I was born, it was hard for me to fit in that box just because I was mixed from the get-go. I already knew. I was like, they're not going to accept me as one of them anyways. And it's interesting, too,
1: because neither of your parents are going to know your experience either, right? Because neither of them have that mixed background
0: yeah, and it's, like, you know, but, it, you know, at the end of the day, I'm very blessed, I think, to have parents that are open-minded, but it's also, like, not something that's ever going to affect anybody else, so that's, like, I hate, I, I appreciate that, like, you have coming out experiences, but I also hate that you have to have them, I just yeah. wish it was, like, oh, you're gay, cool, like, i I'm think, straight, like, yeah. hello, like, or, like, it doesn't matter, it's, like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, like, just, like, your name's Elsa, it'd be, like, oh, she's, she likes girls oh cool Good yeah for you. like normal <laughs> and I <laughs> they're
1: think like, they're like there there are two things I want to talk about connected to that like first is obviously like bi erasure because I think when you say like this this identity this piece of you is not going to affect anyone else I don't agree with that like you just talking about it on this podcast like and I think the experience of being queer in a heterosexual or seemingly heterosexual relationship is so hard because you really are without like you're so happy where you are but it's almost like you're hiding a part of yourself, but you're not because you do ex- exist as your whole self and it, it does impact others. So I, w- I want you to recognize that too. Like oh, it's so powerful right, that you're, you're even right. speaking about that. I appreciate um, and there that. are stories in the book about that too. So that's one part. The second part is I think it's so interesting uh, when parents who were rebels, who like my parents are both of different religions. And there was so much conflict when they were going to get married. Your parents are different races. And it's like if there if you are open to that, right, if you can see over that, why is this a hurdle for exactly. you? Exactly.
0: It's like you already broke tradition. Like how are yeah. you gonna judge? Like exactly. you should not be pointing fingers, sir. <laughs> like you judge Like you it should too. get it. Yeah, like, exactly. Out of anyone,
1: you should get it. So yeah, so I think that's really interesting too, but I think the idea of bi-erasure overall is something that I wish we talked about more. The idea of like, like you said, like you don't like labels. A lot of people in the queer community don't like labels because people will call you out for it. Like within the queer community too, there's so much judgment over what it means to be queer. It's like, I just like what I like. I like what I like. There's there's a story in the book called My Queer Relationship with Queerness. And the writer talks about that. And it's so real that like the umbrella term of queerness is so much safer to use because I identify as pansexual. But when I say pansexual, it, there's just, it's just hard. Cause I think people kind of are like, oh, but like, then you're not really like, are you really gay? Like, are you really in the so community? So like you're just doing whatever yeah. comes your way, so, huh? Like exactly. you're being selfish. Or you're just you trying just to. Or with everyone and like, you'll never yeah. be satisfied. Like there are just so many stereotypes that I feel like just saying queer is the safest one. And we need safety within our community. We need safety across communities. Like, I just think, As a human race, as a population, we need to just let people be who they want to be.
0: Exactly. Let them live their life. If it's not hurting you, if it's all consensual, like, why do you care? If a man wants to wear a skirt, let him wear the skirt. He wants to put on drag makeup, be fierce, sis. You bet a stunt on that runway. Like, I don't know why anybody cares. But I feel like, like, to me, it's just like, I feel like some people, you know, like, if you've been hated or you've been bullied, you bully back you know as like a defense mechanism or like out of I think sometimes out of love too that Mm -hmm. hate comes out because it's like they they want the best for you they want you to go to heaven you know they want you to be up there with them and so by them hating you it's them trying to love you but they don't know how to love you with the ideologies that they believe and so it's like a conflict I just don't understand I feel like all humans at the end of the day like god made you that way you know like i like people whenever people say like oh the gays will make you gay i'm like i don't think you understand how that works like i don't don't think you get it i am not i think into what i'm into because of other people like it's just how i feel
1: oh it's a hard thing to balance also like just touching on religion i know you just kind of mentioned that like i it's so interesting growing up i wasn't really religious like i didn't really practice that regularly and then I recently over the past like three or four years have gotten a lot more religious like now I listen to sermons every week like I try to attend church like pre-pandemic and obviously it's all about finding the right one but I think it's almost helped me and this is this is not the case for every queer person at all because I think there is so much homophobia in the church but it's helped me recognize that at the end of the day, the only person that I have to answer it's to you. is God. Oh God. It's it's me and it's oh. <laughs> I was like, you, you <laughs> gotta answer to you. You're
0: right. God No, and but you're you. right.
1: It is it's me, it's me and God. And I feel like I have a strong relationship with God and I feel like and I know God loves me no matter what. Same. And I think the God that I pray to, the God that I practice with understands queerness understands that there is life beyond the binary and embraces that and loves me for that and i'm not scared of that um and so also when people talk about religion as a like you shouldn't be gay if you're christian or like you know christians whatever whatever i'm just like but exactly like you said god made us this way like God created us this way. The universe created us this way. We are who we are. At the end of the day, and it's like this is not just a human
0: experience. Other animals yeah. are
1: gay. Too. Yeah, and
0: if you like, think about history, has lots exactly. of gay experiences. Like this is not a modern invention. Okay, like people have been this way. Mm-hmm. And it's like even if you look at religion, re- there's religious figures that are trans. Exa- there are
1: religious figures that are queer. There are religious figures that are trans. There are temples that honor queer. Like gods and have them literally engraved into their walls like exactly yeah and I think also writing this book and speaking with people and doing the research helped me come to terms with that identity so much better because I could see it in other communities I could see it within my own community I could see it historically existing and I think that gave me a kind of fulfillment and comfort it's so beautiful
0: so where where can people buy the book if they, if they want to get their hands on it and see you know see other queer experiences that you were able to capture and also like follow along with you and you know other books that you might write in the future (laughs) because we don't know we don't know where you know we never know where where this will go
1: yeah great question so follow us on instagram it's at i h y i I'm like trying to think what all the letters. I, I- H. So at I-H-Y-S-L-M is the Instagram handle. You can buy our book at www.evolvingstill.com forward slash shop. There is a physical paperback and then there is an ebook. And you can follow me on Instagram at Nithya underscore Elsa underscore. If you want to follow along on my journey yeah there's a lot of cool things happening so definitely follow along
0: yeah and I can't wait to get my copy like I I I need to literally just do it I just like delay purchases but I just need to buy it like especially because I think it's such an important book like it there really are not stories about South Asians that are queer and I think it's important for the community to see that these people exist and they are worthy they matter they have value like Because there are Mm -hmm. other people that are struggling with this. They don't know how to feel. And I I know it on my island. Like there are so many people that are just so afraid because of how I have grown up and heard the narrative of how people, you know, in the LGBTQ are treated. And it's really, really sad. But I think we're making headway. And I'm super glad like you were able to capture these voices because it's super important and you know, as someone that is, you know, South Asian and I guess queer—I'll I'll accept queer as a title. I just—I hate titles. <laughs> I'm just like I'm me. Okay. I, get it. I like what yes, I like. I don't need an answer to anybody, but I appreciate it because the title literally hits home. Like when I read it, I was like, "Damn!" Like it took me literally back to that moment when I had made the decision to be like, "Okay, I'm gonna just tell him," but
1: mm-hmm. it was really
0: like. I remember I would cry because I would be like, I really hope you still love me because it's like, I love you shit. You know, Mm -hmm. like, I just hope, I hope this won't make you look at me differently. And for some people it does. And for others, it doesn't. And I, I really hope we as a community as South Asians, you know, being South Asian, that going forward, we can show that like, no, these people too are South Asian. They matter. They are valued. They are loved so that we don't have kids thinking I hope you will still love me thanks for listening to this episode of the chatterbox if you enjoyed this episode be sure to show your support by subscribing to this podcast and leaving us a review follow us on instagram at the dot